when someone's telling you that there's a chance that you might die, <laughs> you know, you're going to do anything and everything to try and survive. Uh, my name is Ollie. Oliver James Yoga is my Instagram handle, um, but my real name is Oliver Plummer. I'm 29 years old and I am living in Fulham in London. Nice. Yeah. Where is James your middle name? James is my middle name. Yeah. I thought I was thinking what would be a sort of nice catchy name for, for my yoga page. And Oliver Plummer just didn't really sound too good. So I went for Oliver James, which I think actually is quite slick, quite smooth, reads quite well. Yeah. So yeah, sticking with Oliver James. I like it. Yeah. Oh my God, what is that? Truck. Um, okay, so how did you grow up? What was growing up like for you? I mean, growing up was pretty good. Um, we lived in a town called Wimbledon, um, which maybe you know from the tennis. And I had a really nice upbringing in a lot of ways. Bit of a dysfunctional family, as maybe a lot of us have experienced. Um, a slightly messy divorce um, when I was growing up. Um, difficult. Um, difficult remarriage with my dad and how the children sort of dealt with that um, my mum wasn't very well at times but you know despite all of that I suppose I had a lot of love thrown at me um, which I think as a kid is super important um, but yeah a few a few kind of crazy moments growing up and a few difficult moments growing up I suppose but in general, I, I was a pretty happy kid, um, so, yeah. Did both your parents stay in Wimbledon? My mum left. I lived with my dad um, after my parents got divorced. We stayed in Wimbledon for a few years, and then my dad and my stepmom moved to Chelsea, and my mum moved to Barnes, and I moved to Fulham. How long have you been in Fulham? And Fulham's where we are now. And Fulham is where we are now. A lot of my friends would say that I never will ever leave Fulham and I'm pretty stuck here, which I think is like a little unfair, but I do like Fulham. I think Fulham's, Fulham is my home. I've been here for six or seven years now. Yeah, maybe even longer, eight years. I, I like it. I'm a Fulham boy. I love Wimbledon. Wimbledon's great. Hey, Wimbledon growing up was awesome. You know, you had the common, it was, and you had the tennis and we lived close to the tennis and that was such a fun atmosphere over the summer. Um, all of my friends lived in and around that area. It was, yeah, Wimbledon, Wimbledon's a really lovely place, especially in and around the village. Yeah, I recommend Wimbledon. I've got some, I've got real fond memories. Occasionally when I go back there, um, I always have a bit of a smile because, yeah, it's a really, it's a really lovely part of, of London. The Common is so nice. The Common's beautiful. I love the Common. I have, have a lot of fun memories out there. And playing with my dad when I was younger to then when I got a little older, going out with my friends, drinking and having some parties on the Common and, yeah, the Wimbledon Fair and it was, it was good fun. Um... And did you say you're uh, about yoga? Yeah, you mentioned your 
Yes. Well, yeah, so that's how we know each other. That's how we know one another. You've come to a couple of my classes. And I've been teaching yoga as a side hustle or sort of a side job for three years now, which to be fair, I love. I really, after every class that I teach, I get so much enjoyment out of it and so much fulfillment out of it. And I never thought it was something that I was going to do. I was, I've been practicing yoga for five years, I suppose. And it was only until lockdown that my auntie said, Ollie, I really think that you should do something a bit more productive with your time whilst I wasn't doing too much over lockdown um, and finally got persuaded to sign up to a teacher training program and again I finished this teacher t training program and I didn't think that I was going to teach but I got in touch with the owner of the yoga studio that I practiced at which is Compass which is where we met and she said, oh, I might be able to get you on the cover. I told her that I was doing my teacher training. She said, I might be able to get you on the cover list. And I said, oh, that would be cool. You know, thinking that I still probably won't ever teach. And Why didn't you think you'd teach? Well, I don't know. I just maybe thought I might sort of do it once in a blue moon if one of the teachers needed some cover and I maybe wouldn't commit to it so much. Um, so I just still never really thought that it was going to turn into anything and then a couple of weeks later and she was going through the the road to the schedule and she said oh ollie i think i can actually get you a permanent slot and i just couldn't really turn it down and all my family would have given me so much stick if i said i, I don't want to do it in fact so i said okay great um and we got a slot for thursday evening and yeah, there, and then a couple of years ago, there I was teaching my first class, really having very, well, no experience and my expertise wasn't brilliant. And I think I, I got about four or five of my family members to come and join. And then a couple other people from, from local who, who came in and I'm sure I gave a really appalling class. It must have been really bad, actually, in hindsight. But hey, I did. What? How would it be bad? I just say I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like I, maybe this is maybe this is unfair. But I feel like for any sort of new yogi teaching their first class, I just can't imagine it being the best class. There's so much. No, there's so many nerves involved, and I hadn't done anything like that before. So I'm sure I. You know, I don't have any recordings of it, um, but I'm sure. Was your family respectful or were they like shouting, heckling you? No, 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 no. I feel like it's harder if it's people you know. Yeah, I think the hardest thing about teaching yoga to people that you know <clears throat> is that maybe you give off a slightly different personality, a slightly different voice, sort of a slightly different vibe to what, you're, what they're used to when you're just out for dinner with them or around at the house with them. So I think that you're constantly judging yourself of, oh, what are they thinking about this like new way of speaking or this new way of coming across? And that's a little bit disconcerting. Um, but they've been super supportive. My dad, uh, my dad especially, he lives pretty close to the studio and he comes and, and does my classes like, every so often, which is really, really nice. Um, so they've been super supportive. And in fact, now, you know, I'm confident into every class that I go into and I've transitioned my style of teaching 
um, into yin yoga, where I have a focus on now, and that's where I've specialized in, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm teaching three times a week and, and having a lot of fun with it. Why did you decide to do focus on yin? So I initially started getting into yin because I was I was practicing a lot of yoga, your traditional vinyasa, maybe I did a little bit of ashtanga, and my flexibility wasn't improving. I'm quite a big guy, I'm a six foot four guy, and I flexibility's never been something that's come particularly naturally to me. And I signed up to this teacher training and I remember feeling super embarrassed because despite my practice being reasonably strong, I couldn't touch my toes. And I thought that was super embarrassing that I'm about to take on this yoga teacher training and I can't even touch my toes. So I started doing some research about how you can improve your flexibility via yoga. And this guy, Lucas Rockwood, came into, um, came up on Google and he teaches a style of yin yoga called gravity yoga, but it has more of a focus on science-based stretching, but you still hold these poses for long periods of time. And I took on, I signed up to his course. You do 15 minutes every night for, I think, 21 days. And my flexibility improved massively, like massively, much more in those 21 days, it improved more so than a year of yoga. Um, was this online? This was online. Where's he based? He's an American. Um, he's an American teacher who I think predominantly just does online um, workshops and online teacher training, and he's got pretty big following. And I liked his style of teaching because it was, even though I teach quite a bit of philosophy in my classes, um, it was just science-based stretching, and that's all I needed at the time. I just wanted to improve my flexibility. And a lot of people that I know in similar sort of ages to me, especially guys, have big problems with their flexibility. And from over the sort of year of continuing this gravity or this long-held styled stretching form of yoga, I wanted to try to teach that and I wanted to try to sort of steal and copy um, this guy Lucas Rockwood's um, style of teaching and incorporate it into my classes and incorporate it and teach the people in and around my circle that I knew had a problem with flexibility. Um, so I started to transition my teaching into slower, um, longer held stretch shapes and to initially improve people's yeah flexibility and then I've started to reap the other benefits that yin yoga provides, um, both with the sort of all the mental and emotional benefits that come with it. And I've got really hooked on slowing down. Um, you know, yin yoga is a really wonderful tool to help us reconnect. I think. For people living in cities, we're constantly in this fight or flight state. We're constantly sort of exerting our energy levels and, you know, the way that society demands us to work is in like 100 miles per hour. Um, and we need opportunities to slow down and to dive a little deeper, to 
reconnect with ourselves. We're constantly full of distractions, whether that be our mobile phones, our emails, laptop, TV, talking with friends. And along with yeah, improving my flexibility, this idea that I was able to start you know, watching and noticing my feelings, my thoughts. Um, it really helped me, I think, to develop a better relationship with myself. And again, I wanted to try to um, give people the opportunity to experience that too. What, can you explain briefly what yin yoga is for people who aren't familiar? Or even what, so vinyasa is like the most common one that it's like flow. Yeah, so if anyone's listening to this and they have an idea of yoga moving through their sun salutations, they would have heard phrases like upward facing dog, downward facing dog. That's your typical vinyasa approach. Well, I think people who don't know yoga actually just think it's stretching and that it's not hard. Whereas <laughs> vinyasa is hard. Vinyasa is like a workout. It's like you're sweating and it's hard. Yeah, yeah. And then what's the ash? What's the other one you mentioned? Ashtanga. Ashtanga. That's the sun salutation one. Is it? So ashtanga, you move through sun salutations too. Vinyasa. I guess there's been such a sort of like merge of teaching styles through a lot of practitioners, a lot of teachers, you know, and there's like little snippets of all different um, traditions of yoga. Um, and they all incorporate little bits, even vinyasa classes, or maybe tap into yin elements towards the end of the class. But yin is super unique and super different as it's predominantly mat, ba- predominantly mat based and you're holding these poses from anywhere between two to seven minutes. And yeah, it's the, we talk about three principles in yoga, um, the breath. So unlike other forms of yoga where you find this ujjayi breath, you breathe in through your nose and you exhale out your nose. You're breathing in through your nose and you're exhaling out your mouth. Um, you find that edge, which is sort of your intensity level where you're working with around a seven out of 10 intensity to really find a deep stretch. And then these, these hold times to get really deep into the muscle, into the fascia, to try to create some real length into the muscles. Um, I've done ones when they're like 20 minute hold times. Really? Yeah, is that not I, I, Maybe in a more sort of restorative practice. Um, oh yeah, maybe it was restorative. In, in a more restorative practice, you can hold on to the poses for longer. But so many people, like super fit people, like gym junkies, like, you know, real, real people in really great neck will say that they don't, they don't do yin yoga and they can't do yin yoga. And it's because they can't slow down and they really, really struggle to slow down. And I think it's because, you know, when we slow down and when we remove all these distractions, it's... Um, allows us to be with ourselves, and I think a lot of people these days struggle to just sit and be with ourselves you know how often do you ever like when when would you ever just sit with yourself with nothing no music no books no tv no mobile phone and the reason why you don't is because okay one people find it maybe boring but also 
people don't like listening and people don't like being with their thoughts. Mm. And that's a big reason why I think people struggle with yin yoga. Yeah, because it's really not boring when you... It's just... I think it is. It's just such a mental challenge. It's not about... It's not just like, oh, stretching, whatever. It's like, no, you sitting there for that long, because it is a, it is a long time, mm. even, yeah, without, yeah, any of these distractions. And then stuff comes up. It's like, yeah, I think I told you after one class, it's like I always will often I'll just end up crying because it's some kind of like release from that part of your body. So it's, it's like you're processing stuff. So it's like anything but boring. Yeah, we're constantly blocking and we're constantly pushing down so many emotions, so many thoughts throughout our day or throughout our week, throughout the month, throughout the year. And then by coming into certain shapes, it will help bring up some of these emotions and then being in a position where you're just sitting with those thoughts, sitting with those emotions. Yeah, it can be really powerful, releasing a lot of stuff that you've pushed away for a long period of time. Mm. Um, But I I, I think it's something that everyone needs to incorporate into their week. You know, we spend, I've mentioned it before, we spend so much of our time in this young state, you know, a lot, you know, moving and working and functioning at 100 miles per hour. But we need that yin energy in our lives. We need to slow down. We need to rest. We need to recover. We need to sleep in order to function the way that society requires us or expects us to. Um, and people find that difficult. And I think there's, you know, this idea that when we rest or when we take things a little easy, when we slow down, that that's weak or. You know, that's, you know, not something that we, you know, that we should be doing or, and it's not the case. We need to have these moments of stillness to be able to operate the way that we want to. And did you find that was something that you really needed? Or it just, you just started realising that was like a, a... Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily something that I felt that I needed um, it was almost a byproduct because, as I say, I initially took up yin to improve my flexibility, and then the more that I did it, the more I understood of the kind of like mental resilience, emotional resilience, and discipline that that it brings um, and it manufactures. And yet, the more I did it, the more I realized how you know how much of a necessity it is. I think in yin yoga by slowing down and when you slow down and these thoughts and emotions come up or some discomfort comes up from the stretch that you're in, you have an option. You have an option to react and fidget and move and try to distract yourself and run away from these um, physical and emotional discomforts or you have an option to stay settled, stay calm stay composed, stay relaxed, and sort of wait it out and allow these feelings, these sensations to drift away, which inevitably they will drift away as you either move out of the pose or as you forget and, you know, feelings of boredom or anger will just slip slip away. Um, 
and that's been super powerful kind of making that transition from inside the studio to outside the studio from where things will happen to me and I can tap into my yin practice and I can um, sort of have that moment to realize I have an option here to react and get angry, to move, to fidget, to get stressed, or I can sit with that experience, sit with that sensation, and inevitably, as everything, it will, um, it will fade away, it will, it will, um, it will, it will go. You know, this idea of impermanence is like quite a big lesson that I speak about in class, this idea that everything changes, things are constantly moving, whether that's our thoughts, our feelings, whether that's experiences, at some point it will all go and trying to lose that attachment to those things can be a little scary, but also if we can change our mindset, it can be super liberating and very freeing, knowing that everything changes, um, nothing is permanent. It, yeah, I think it's made me feel a little lighter. And how did you get into yoga to begin with? So I initially got into yoga um, because I went through a pretty healthy, um, a pretty a pretty scary um, health diagnosis. So at twenty four, I was diagnosed with stage four germ cell cancer, and. I was given a 50% chance of survival and I mean we can talk about this in more detail maybe in a little bit but after the chemo and the surgery that I had and I was feeling physically and emotionally very unwell um, I got told that yoga might have been a nice um, uh, something to something nice to help um, deal with some of those side effects. Um, so I remember going to my first class at a studio called Tri Yoga, which is in Chelsea near us, and I took a class by this woman called Diana Holland, super sweet lady. I saw her the other day actually, and she's the best. And I did a very gentle yoga class, and it helped. It made me feel more present. Um, it, yeah, it took away some of these sort of nasty thoughts that were running through my mind. It helped ease some of my anxieties and it helped just kind of loosen up some of the stiffness in my body. And I went and I had a bit more free time on my hands back then. So I went back and went back again and I guess it just kind of compounded and I formed a habit, started going a few times a week and as my health improved, I got stronger and my practice got stronger and it's kind of just spiraled from there. Did you know anything about yoga before you went? Or were you no clue, honestly, no clue. I, I mean, obviously I had heard about yoga and I knew roughly what it involved. I'd never practiced yoga before. And you know, it's in the same way as teaching, you know, when you go into that first yoga class, it's scary and it's intimidating. You don't know what to do. P 
people around you feel like they people around you feel like they've been doing it for years and you know you're sort of all over the place for those first few classes but as I said there was something that just was very I don't know just was very grounding about it and it made me I guess with a lot of kind of sport or a lot of exercise it takes you away from those thoughts um, and it kind of just grounds you and it allows you to focus on the present slightly more um, and yeah I got a lot of release and relief from from those early yoga classes when when I was unwell was it a doctor who recommended it to you no no I think it was my auntie in fact who was the person that told me I should do the teacher training um, and I had a really nice team around me of people that when, when I got diagnosed, people that we just knew in the family or, you know, everyone kind of went out and said, how can we help Ollie? And we found some amazing people. And I think yoga was something that was, that was recommended for me, but no, not, not a doctor. My oncologist was, I mean, Hey, I think I owe my life in a lot of ways but he had very, very little interest on the holistic side of things. Mm. Yeah, so how do you think about that stuff? Because I know for everyone it's it's so different, right? Like some people like, nothing will make a difference. This is the diagnosis, like you just have to do exactly the medical route and exactly what the doctor says, whereas other people really I mean, we started talking about this before recording about um, looking at your lifestyle as a whole. I think from my side, again, I had zero knowledge about this holistic world, really. And now it seems weird because I'm invested so heavily into it. But beforehand, okay, sure, I knew that eating a lot of fruit and vegetables was good for you. I knew that exercise was good for you. And that was as bad as far as my knowledge went on the holistic side of things. Um, at the time, I didn't have, one, the knowledge to go 100% into the holistic route, nor did I have the confidence, I think, nor did I have the time. You know, I didn't have a lot of time. I think if the doctor said, if I'd left things another few months, then those odds would have, like, really drastically um, decreased. Um, so I had to go straight into chemotherapy, but I think on the holistic side of things and the allopathic medicine, so like going down your traditional hospital route, there's a place for each. And I think that some people can completely remove themselves from the allopathic route and be so set on their only natural healing is the way to go. And I think people can dismiss holistic health 100% and think that there's no, there's no time for that and it doesn't work and it's all stupid, which I don't agree with either. I think that allopathic medicine has its place. I think holistic medicine has its place. And in an ideal world, if the two could be you know, respected on the same level and they could assist one another, a bit like this yin and yang, you know, they operate together. I think that then that can make for a powerful 
um, a powerful tool for healing. Um, so, you know, the allopathic medicine saved my life, but I think I didn't recover the way that I would have and I didn't heal in such a, you know, in such a really good way um, if I didn't back it all up with the eating healthy and the exercise, the supplements, all the wacky and wonderful um, things that I did as well in, in between all that. Like what? I did everything. Honestly, I did everything. I think that's uh, when someone's telling you that there's a chance that you might die, <laughs> you know, you're going to do anything and everything to try and survive. I've gone from things that are a little more relatable, like infrared saunas, um, ice baths, cryotherapy, hyperbaric chambers. What, um, is, what is that? Um, cryotherapy is like cryo the freezing cold thing. Cryotherapy is th the freezing cold thing. Um, a hyperbaric chamber is this almost like coffin um, shaped box, which actually in hindsight probably freaked me out a little getting in that. Um, but it's a sort of coffin shaped box that floods um, with oxygen, like 100% oxygen, and you're in it for up around an hour or so and the idea is that cancer cells can't survive in a fully oxygenated um, area or yeah it can't survive in f fully oxygenated um, when they're fully oxygenated I'm not sure they're complete signs but I did a lot of sessions of hyperbaric chambers um, I did plant medicine so ayahuasca iboga did medicinal mushrooms was this all in London? Um, yeah, yeah, as I said, I had quite a good team around me. Um, I think maybe occasionally I went outside of, like, you know, an, an hour or two outside of London. But yeah, it was all, all in and around here. Um, so that's how you're finding out about these things from the people around you who were encouraging you, like, try this? Or were you doing your own I research? Was doing, I mean, I was doing my research. I became a serious health nut. You know, every, I couldn't work any longer. And as I say, when someone's told that there's an op there's a possibility that you're gonna die, and I was pretty weak at the time, so it was just kind of me on my sofa with a laptop in front of me. And I was doing a load of research, just like scouring the internet for things that could be beneficial to me. And I got super, there was one thing that I got super invested in, the thing that stuck with me more than anything, was the importance of diet and nutrition. And I remember reading one statistic saying, I think, and it's even, it's gone up even more now over the last couple of years, but 80% of cancers are down to environmental and lifestyle choices. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, there's just so many people are getting ill unnecessarily and this idea that our diet can have such a big influence and on our health you know is really fascinating and it kind of gave me more it, it made me feel more empowered you know when you've got cancer it takes away like you lose all that power you think you're completely helpless but being able to read that statistic and recognize that maybe I do have like an element of influence in this 
you know, was really helpful, made me feel more empowered. Um, and I became like a juicing and smoothie machine. Every day I'd have, honestly, like three, four, maybe even sometimes five juices or smoothies, like filled with amazing superfood supplements and fruits and vegetables and just chow them down. And I remember having this, um, I remember, and I still do it today um, slightly, when I have smoothies or juices, I learned the importance of visualization. I remember reading about this guy, Joe Dispenza, um, who had a broken back and he speaks a lot about how he healed himself through the power of vis visualization. And I remember drinking these juices and smoothies and once I drank them, I would just sit, almost meditate, close my eyes and I'd visualize this liquid kind of running through my veins, entering my organs and cleaning and clearing all the toxins, all the cancer, all the bad things away. And I think that was, yeah, that was pretty, um, pretty powerful as well in my healing. Wow. And what did the oncologist make of you trying to take control of your healing journey? I, this, again, this is where it was difficult because I didn't speak to him much about it because he didn't have any time. He, he Honestly, he didn't have any time. He wouldn't have thought it had made a difference. Um, I know when I've spoken with other people that some oncologists are very supportive about people going down, more down a holistic approach. Um, my oncologist, he... He wasn't interested in that, so I felt like it just would have been made things more complicated if I had spoken to him um, about it or asked advice on it or said, should I be doing this? And I think it would have kind of freaked me out a little and freaked him out a little. So when I went to hospital, I kind of did what he said. And then when I was away from hospital, that's when I was focusing on all the holistic side of things. And how early on did you make this shift from, I guess, because initially I imagine, well, where, what was it like when you got this diagnosis or what led up to? Mm. It was, um, I had been putting off some ailments for a little bit of time. Um, I had appendicitis, I had a really bad back and I was feeling super lethargic, very tired. But again, I just kind of thought I was smoking quite a bit, I was drinking quite a bit. You know, maybe I was still holding on to like a cold or a bit of flu or, but it had been going on for a long time. I was really putting things off for sort of six, seven months, maybe even longer. Until eventually I started coughing up blood. <laughs> um, and then I remember telling my dad and he was like, right, you're going to hospital, <laughs> you've got to get checked out. So I went to hospital and I spoke to the doctor about my symptoms and we had an ultrasound and I just remember, I was there by myself and I just remember, I remember feeling quite freaked out that something wasn't quite right by this point. But again, at 24 years old, you never think that you're going to be diagnosed with cancer. And we were talking, we were having small talk as he was giving me this ultrasound over my belly. He was smiling, we were kind of just like chatting away. 
and then all of a moment I and then all of a sudden I saw his face kind of drop slightly and he stopped speaking and I just saw oh, fuck something bad is happening here and he didn't tell me what was going on he said oh the doctor will be in touch with you and I remember I ran away so I left the ultrasound room and I ran away I got on my bike and I started and I started um, biking back home and I got sort of 10 minutes in maybe five minutes into the into the journey and I started getting calls and I think I didn't I didn't pick up the first one or two and I continued to get calls so I pulled over and I saw it was from an unknown number eventually I picked up and the doctor called me and he said, Ollie, you need to come back here. I've got to tell you something. And I just thought, oh, fuck, like, I'm, I, I didn't, I, I, I don't know. I can't remember what I thought it was, but I knew that something was bad. Maybe I did but by this point think that I had cancer. I'm not sure. Um, so I came back and it was late at this point. I came back into his office at like 8 p.m. And yeah, he said, you, you've got cancer. Um, and I just, it's difficult to put it into words, um, that feeling, but it really just, you, you, you can't speak. It just feels completely like untrue. You think it's a dream. I, I think like, you know, we've got it in our heads as society, cancer is just the worst possible thing. And cancer, I really don't like that word. But it is, as soon as someone says that, your heart just drops and it's the worst. Um, and then I remember I, I was driving back home and I went through every red light. I didn't, honestly, I didn't care at all. And I, I went to my dad's house and I told him what happened and it went from there. And, but that was, that was definitely one of the scariest moments of my life for sure. And did he straight away tell you like, this is how far along and this is... I didn't know. At this point, he didn't know because we didn't know how advanced it was. They had found a tumour from the ultrasound um, in my abdomen. But then I think the next day I got sent for a CT scan and then they saw that... They saw that the magnitude of this tumour was a nine centimetre tumour in my abdomen, so about the size of a grapefruit. And then it spread to my liver and my lungs as well. So it was just straight after that, like tests and yeah, and no, I think yeah, and then I think three days later I was having chemotherapy, put on a really intensive chemotherapy regime. Um, I had chemotherapy for around four months, and and yeah, the, yeah, pretty intense chemo. I was strapped up for five days straight, just the con chemo constantly running through me for five days. Um, and then I had to have a couple surgeries. This was all over the course of about a year, year and a half. And yeah. Yeah, it's actually crazy. I mean, it's a little while, about a little while ago now, but it was such a crazy period. So at what point did you go from, I imagine at the start you would have been despairing and just like no idea what's gonna happen but at what point 
did it switch to like I want to take control of like feeling empowered I guess I don't know I guess it's I don't it's a weird feeling this when someone says there's a possibility that you're going to die at an age where you shouldn't be dying it's like the human brain is 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 like the human brain can't accept it so you never really think that it's actually going to happen which i suppose is kind of a good thing because you just yeah there's something like wide in us to think that no that isn't going to happen because it's not my time but then on the flip side of it you're like realistic and you know that it does happen and it can happen so you're constantly fighting between the fuck i could die like pretty soon to the like other end of the spectrum of like obviously i'm not going to die because i'm 24 and i feel okay and you know it's not going to happen so i think you know i never you never go from one and you never completely like or well, i suppose i didn't completely allow myself to dip into one extreme and just stay there for too long you're constantly bouncing between oh fuck this isn't looking good something bad's going to happen to an hour later or the next day to thinking actually come on Ollie you've got this like this is all going to be fine like keep doing what you're doing you've had some good news and it's just a yeah you're constant yo-yo between the two um and in and around that there's you know sadness and anger and um every kind of emotion excitement in some ways and it's yeah you're just getting pulled at you're getting pulled in every direction physically and mentally it's super draining um but at the same time it's a weird thing because you have more love than you've ever had before around you which almost feels quite good in a way because everyone is you know so supportive and so loving and constantly reminding you how brave you are and you know it feels kind of good in some ways and that's actually something that when you begin getting healthy and maybe people don't talk about so much um when you begin getting healthy and you start sort of letting go of that illness you you do miss that slightly um and you start having to figure stuff out on your more um by yourself a little more um but yeah i think i think the hardest it's actually, it's a weird thing it's like when you're diagnosed with cancer it's awful it's horrible but as i say you just have you don't have to really worry about anything and in some ways it's i don't know some ways it's quite nice because you just you don't have to think about work you don't have to think about where your meals are coming from you don't have to think about like getting back to people replying you have zero responsibility you just get told where you have to be what you have to do and that's about it and you you get all the lifelines you want if you're angry it's fine if you're sad you're fine if you're happy that's great so it's quite a f- weird position to be in and then yeah once once you're better you're almost sort of like not completely but you're kind of like thrown out into the world again by yourself and 
you have very little confidence. That, that's the hardest thing for me was getting, is regaining my confidence. Cancer strips you of all your confidence. And, you know, it takes away your job. Um, it takes away your looks, your hair. Um, takes away sort of all your weight. I lost so much weight. Um, you stop spending time with people. So you lose that sort of ability to just like interact with people how you used to. Um, so regaining that has been really, really hard. And like I've had to put in a lot of work and it's only been in this last year um, where I've been able to do that. So I was lacking that confidence and still feeling like very insecure even a couple of years after I got better. Yeah, because I guess it can just really become part of your identity. And it's maybe, yeah, it's hard if people, you're always at the center to then transition of like, okay, now you have to be, now it's like not just only about cancer. It's like you have to be in a social situation where being, yeah, being a yeah, have to, being in a social situation is really difficult. Again, and because if you're meeting new people, you're not gonna say, "Oh, like I, I've just had cancer," and then you can go into sort of what's going on with you. And I know you sh people shouldn't feel like this, but you're meeting new people. You go to a friend's birthday, and you know they tell you what they're up to, and you know they've got a promotion at work and whatever. And you're saying, oh, I'm not really doing too much at the moment. Or I started doing a bit of dog walking um, whilst I was kind of recovering and say, oh, I'm just doing some dog walking at the moment. And again, it just doesn't make you feel great about yourself. And, you know, you're not going to tell them your story. But, you know, I felt for a long time after I got better, I felt like that was something that was difficult to, yeah, to deal with. Yeah, you know, I find that with um, having been depressed and having, like, not being able to work because of depression. But it's, like, even now when I meet someone, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, I have to tell them my whole life story of, like, how I ended up here. It's like, oh, I was, you know, in, in, in investment banking, but yeah, then so this happened and then this... Yeah, and it's like, people need to know, like, oh, I'm only... I mean, even you coming here and I'm like oh my god why do I live in Fulham I used to live in Angel this is who I used to be yeah right but it's like it's yeah it's so it's hard to well we're just you know we live in a world where we're constantly feeling like we're being judged and we're constantly judging ourselves and you know we live in a world where we're comparing so much to that's a, yeah that, the whole comparison game is really really tough um, but then you know you can come you know you can come back to it's difficult you get sucked into that side of the story but then you know you just remind yourself that fuck Ollie you know you beat stage four cancer you had three years of your life taken away not taken away but taken away in terms of how where you can necessarily advance your career you can get on and get that promotion. But, you know, the amount of life lessons, the amount of maturity, the amount of wisdom, how much more of a kind, calm, 
consider a person I've become as a result of that cancer. You know, I think it's like, you know, society doesn't see it. Society sees money and job titles. But, you know, when you come back to how far you've come, what you've been through, and actually you're a pretty great guy, um, you know, considering, and you've done a lot, you know, I think those reminders help. But it's so easy to get sucked into things um, and get sucked into that whole sort of what society expects and, you know, what we think is success. And so what do you do for work? I work for a company called the Acai Girls, which is a healthy deli and smoothie bar. And I'm managing one of their sites at the moment. Where is it? I feel like I've seen it. It's on the Fulham Road. Um, it's on the Fulham Road. And yeah, I mean, there's something that I wanted to get in there because I had that passion for smoothies and healthy eating. Um, I had a background previously in hospitality. So it's, it's worked out really well. And they've got a few sites popping up over the next year. One in Belgravia, one in um, Battersea. That's it. Yeah, I saw one of their new sites, either Battersea or Belgravia. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I think, you know, what I've realised over this last year is that confidence isn't going to just come back itself. You need to go out and do things to regain your confidence. And I recognise that, okay, if I'm going to parties and I'm saying that I'm dog walking and that makes me feel insecure when other people are saying they're in, you know, law or a doctor or whatever, you know, that doesn't make me feel terribly good about myself. So what's something that I'm passionate about makes me feel fulfilled and that I would be like happy to like speak about in a confident way. So I wanted to change my jobs and, you know, I was still feeling like very like skinny and, you know, at six foot four, I always remember like having lost all that weight and sort of being so tall. I felt quite vulnerable physically and I think that had an impact on me mentally as well. So I've been going to the gym a little more recently and I've been able to put on some weights and again, that's helped me feel more confident. Um, And yeah, I've just realized just little things starting to compound, starting to add up that have helped make me feel, yeah, a lot more confident. And I'm probably now for the first time over the last six months, more confident than I've kind of ever been like in, in my life, which is really, really great. Yeah, that is. And that's such good advice, I think. I never... That's what I realised, like, maybe three months ago. It was just my confidence was so low. And I was like, how... And then I just started buying books of, like, how to be confident. But I was like, I need to solve this problem because it is affecting... Yeah, like, when you can't turn up in a social situation and say... Yeah, talk confidently about who you are. It just... It's like this... Yeah, and, you, and, you, and as you say, you go back to like your your you know your old dealer, or like oh I used to do this, and in fact you know trying to get yourself in a position where you can say this is what I do now, and you, you've got to go out and you've got to go out and get it. You know you've got to it, it, with anything you know going to the gym or eating healthy or going to bed earlier. You know you've got to just start, and starting is the hardest bit, um, but they begin to add up. 
and they begin to compound. Um, so we were, before we started recording, we were talking about, or you started talking about the mental labels, good and bad, which I love thinking about this stuff. And so have you been able to reframe how you think about those three years of your life? Yeah, it, it is an interesting um, way of looking about things. Um, this idea that everything that we do in life, we judge, and for you know maybe it's a little little more complex than good or bad, but in general, any experience that we have, we associate it with either being good or it being bad. And I've tried to shift my mindset on this a lot recently because a lot of maybe things that I initially thought were bad have turned out to be great and have turned out to be good and if I didn't get sick I wouldn't be a yoga teacher right now I wouldn't have this job with the Sai girls that I'm really enjoying I wouldn't have a much healthier mind and body um, I would still probably be drinking and smoking and so something that felt so bad at the time has resulted in something, you know, that's been, you know, kind of changed. Like I've changed so much in my life for the better because of it. And same examples apply for if you get fired from a job and, you know, it can feel so bad at the time, but maybe that firing can give you the know the opportunity to really chase a passion of yours or you know maybe that breakup that just seems impossible to get over you know maybe will give you the opportunity to move to another country or meet someone you know that's even better for you um there are so many things that happen to us that are good or that feel good or bad at the time and we just have no way of knowing how it's all going to turn out so trying to shift that mindset and shift that judgment and try to flow through life um, with these experiences without that judgment. And I think you can flow through life a lot calmer and a lot smoothly, being more open to be more open to these things that happen to us. And trying to shift that mindset of, oh fuck, well right now that doesn't feel great. But who knows what's going to happen, you know, in an hour or, you know, in a day or in a month as a result of that. We just don't know. Um, and, you know, this life is such a funny thing. You know, it, it sounds a little corny or cringy, but you never know from just missing the bus or something and being late and then you meeting someone on the bus or you know it's a bit of a silly example you know maybe that you're late for work and that's so bad but in fact you know you've met this great person I don't know yeah but there's you know that anything anything can feel at the time good or bad but in fact it's, it's and I think it's paying attention to those things because if you're not paying attention you're not and that's where gratitude and whatever comes in, right? So it's like, oh, I missed the bus, but I met this person. You're not, if you're not paying attention to like, oh, this good thing, or yeah, quote unquote, good thing happened. Like, and then saying like, wow, I am 
grateful for this and this is what happened to lead to that I don't know it's hard it's I feel like it's sensitive to talk about because when (sighs) saying releasing the labels good and bad it's not about toxic positivity or the idea of like oh someone you love died yeah don't worry about it it's like it's like it's more like acceptance it's like this has happened yeah you're right it's acceptance and you can't change so yeah it's not saying oh don't worry it's not bad therefore it's good like no it's not either of those things it's just this is what's happened yeah exactly it's neither good or it's neither bad and it's acceptance and you just don't know what's going to result from that experience yeah and it's the it's also it's just the it's like the pattern the brain plays so I'm kind of going through this with I'm really trying to change how my brain's processing this breakup so when I think I'll try and catch myself when I have a negative thought of like oh this sucks because I'm never gonna you know when I, I don't know if you have experienced this but it's like you attach to everything it's like something in the supermarket oh my god I ate those crisps one time when I was with him and it's just like okay my brain is like choosing to bring out this stuff but why don't I choose a different thought which is like oh I can't wait till I'm eating crisps with like the next boyfriend or something like that yeah 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 for sure for sure I think Hey, it's so difficult to do. It really, really is difficult to do because we've been conditioned for all our lives to think like this. But I think if we, everyone can tap into or remember experiences that have felt really uncomfortable at the time or really, as you say, like quote-unquote bad at the time, but it hasn't actually been like, you know, we've recovered from it, we've healed you know, looking back at it in hindsight, it hasn't been, you know, the worst thing. I think, you know, if we can continue to try to tap into that mindset, it can be very, like, healing. For sure. Yeah. But that's amazing that you've been able to do that because so many people will never... Like, you could just live the rest of your life saying, my life's so hard, don't you know what happened to me? Because this happened, I will... You know, and just being bitter and angry forever yeah i suppose you could and that you know that's a shame that maybe people go through life feeling like that and people do go through life feeling like that but you know there's always there's always something that's like life is long you know life is really long and you know things that happen to you right now might not you know have have that like attachment on you in you know a month's time or a year's time or five years time and you know that's not about just that's not about you know saying trying to like ignore them or block them out or that's not about feeling like those raw emotions at the time but not being so stuck and not being you know so stubborn that things will never change or things that like there can't be some positives um, that all result in, in this. Do you ever... Wait, what was I going to say? Oh, okay, random question. Yoga. Yeah. Did you, when you first got into it, or even now, yeah. did you have any insecurities of like, oh, this isn't, like, do men do this? 
or why don't more men do this? <laughs> yeah, I do. I spend, to be fair, I spend a lot of my working day, I spend a lot of my days around women from the Asai girls where I work pretty much every day. And, you know, that's quite the, the two owners, uh, two sisters, and we have a, we have a lot of um, females that come in, a lot of women that come into the store. And then yoga, again, is predominantly um, pretty female heavy. And I guess I, I guess I do feel like, I think it's always gonna, that women are going to be the majority, majority in the yoga world. And it's a shame that more men don't get involved in it because I think that they should. Um, I don't know, do I, how do I feel about it? Do I feel... When you first, was there any insecurity when you first got into it or you were just like, okay, whatever, I'll give it a shot? No, I think I... I don't think so, to be fair. I actually think... I actually think I quite liked it. <laughs> yeah, I actually think I quite liked it, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, it was a little different and none of my friends were doing it and I thought, oh, this is kind of cool, like, I'm doing something a little different and, you know, being able to move my body in ways that other sort of guys, like, can't is... Obviously, I try to teach that and I try to get more guys to do it, but equally, you know, it's something nice that it's a little more unique. Because um, what other sports did you play growing up? I did your traditional, like, football. I played cricket, I played tennis, I played a bit of golf. Um, but I, you know, so again, like, I felt, you know, I feel pretty, I felt pretty sporty or I am pretty sporty, but, you know, I... 21 years old I couldn't touch my toes you know and I couldn't move my body in in ways that I'd want to at all you know I lost that ability in my like late teens so you know it's amazing now at 29 to be able to be more flexible to be able to move my body in way better ways than than how I could when I was 18 years old and I think I'm only you know I'm only getting better and so this idea that when you hit 30 years old or you get into your 30s or 40s and you lose your ability to move or you lose your flexibility or you know you haven't hit these sort of like targets you know whether that's physically or mentally you know by the time you're 30 I just think is so wrong it's like slightly different but it's made me think of this tweet do you know the guy Rich Roll Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's that ultra marathon runner and he's got the podcast and the books. He's a cool He's a cool dude. But he released that tweet um, a few months back um, and paraphrasing slightly, but he said at 44, I think, or at 30, I thought my life was over. At 40, I ran my first marathon. At 44, I ran my first ultra marathon. At 45, I launched my podcast at 47. I um, I wrote my first book, Turning 50 Next Year and My Life Is Just Beginning, which I thought was really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah, I love his his story. And I think he, cause he was, kind, he was a lawyer and overweight and depressed. And, mm. and I think he, he says, think about what you loved doing like when you're a child and just go with that 
and don't worry about I mean yeah he's kind of like don't worry about how you're going to make money because his was running and he's like how will I ever make money out of that but then he just started yeah, running yeah. and now it's like this whole yeah thing. yeah no he has I think I don't know it's I don't know it's difficult to sort of I just, I just think you know there's so much that we live in just this like really like comparison filled like judgy world and I feel like if we can try to remove some of that and if we can try to like let go of this idea at these certain ages we have to hit these targets around you know marriage and kids and promotions and you know we just try to show up each day and we try to be the best version of ourselves and we try to put ourselves out there and you know allow things to allow things to happen naturally then you know it's all good what stresses do you feel around that stuff like do you because i feel like (laughs) this is it so depends on like your peer group right but also i feel like it's different for men and women like some men maybe don't feel the pressure of the marriage and kids stuff or I don't, yeah, I, yeah, maybe. Or, but no, some do. It, is, di- it is different for men, I suppose. There's like less of a time, like a timeline on it as maybe the, for, for women, I suppose. But equally, you know, you're in your circle of friends and people are moving in with their girlfriends or getting engaged um, and or marrying even or getting, you know, promotions at work. And, you know, it's you can't not kind of get wrapped up into it a little because everyone's doing it. So, you know, you just get dragged into the, oh, fuck, like everyone's doing it. So I guess like I should be doing it. And if I'm not doing it right now, then something's not going right. And you can't help getting dragged into it. But as I say, you know, everyone is where they're at in their life because of different reasons, whether that, you know, be, you know, have had some depression or had the loss of, you know, someone in their family or had an illness or whatever it might have been. Like, you know, people are all have different journeys. People all have a different starting points. And, you know, I think, as I said, if you just try to be the best version of yourself each day, like, it will all happen, but it will just happen in its own time. Yeah. Um, and it's also like, what do you actually want? It's like, oh, yeah. you don't have to do... Yeah, exactly. But a lot of the stuff that we do in our lives, right? We we think we want. But again, like, again, it's not necessarily what we want. It's what everyone around us thinks that they want because it's how we've been conditioned. Yeah. And then it's also knowing that, I mean, yeah, it's like a relationship that, you know, if sometimes you can... From the outside, it's like, oh, that will solve all my problems. But I've been, like, the most depressed in a relationship. Or, like, lone- you can be lonely in a relationship. You can be... It's like you never know. Or even, yeah, someone who owns a house or whatever. But their whole life is, like, totally fucked up. It's like you just have no idea. It's like it's like we're all looking at each other of, like, oh, that person has this. But... Yeah, no one, like, that's the thing, like, again, it's just this comparison game. You think, you see your friends in a couple that have moved in with one another and you think that their life is, like, perfect and they don't have any problems when, 
<laughs> they do and you know like if you you're being honest with yourself you know that they have problems you know that they have fights you know that they have like shitty days at work but the mind doesn't want you to you know the mind always plays games on us and the mind like you know takes us into those dark places and gives us those like negative thoughts um, and to make us feel bad about ourselves and you know everyone has their struggles but it's I don't know it's 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 really it's really difficult but you're right like having those things won't necessarily make you happy for sure like they can like add to the quality of your life potentially but if you're not feeling sort of fulfilled and confident in yourself feel like you know you're gonna run into you know problems problems like in whatever position you're in you know trying to build a better relationship with yourself um is you know will make your life so much better and would make your life so much like just more free and like calmer and again sort of tying into the yin yoga side of things you know allowing giving yourself the time to actually sit with your thoughts and feelings to connect with your body to actually give yourself some time to process and as you do that more and more builds a better relationship with yourself and I think you know once you build a better relationship with yourself that's kind of the goal right you know that's the one it's the one person or the one thing that you're going through your going through your life for your entire life with is you and if you don't have a good relationship with yourself then it's going to be a difficult you know life with a lot of struggles so i think you know working at improving that relationship with yourself through you know diet and exercise and yoga and you know therapy reading whatever there's so many things out there sitting with yourself listening to yourself um you know will allow you to go on to do the things that maybe you want to do like outside of your little your vehicle mm. yeah because i think that's the antidote to that comparison trap is spending time getting to know yourself so then you know what you want and it's the same with the confidence thing to like go and do the thing that would make you like hold your head up high kind of thing but also then you can be happy for other people like genuinely happy like i'm so happy that you love being a lawyer and got that promotion yeah. and that's like not I like never would be as well, you know, it's rather than like, oh my God, what's everyone else doing? It's like, oh my God, you got engaged. That's awesome. Like one day I want that for me, but today I'm focused on, you know, whatever thing. And Yeah. Hey, I mean, if you can, if you're in that mindset, that's awesome. Like for sure. I know for me, like at times I'm in that mindset where maybe I'm feeling like really confident myself and things are going well and I'm like, yeah, it'll happen. And it will be fine and you can give like that person all that like love and like appreciation and like yeah you've done great well done but then maybe you have a shitty day at work or maybe you get like rejected or whatever and then you're feeling a bit more self-conscious and then you hear a story like that and maybe you start to get like a little envious or a little jealous or you know a little whatever like oh i i want that so again it's yeah, i think it's like it's that confidence thing that when you're feeling like good in yourself then you can give like more love out to others mm. yeah 
And it, the envy can be helpful if you're like, damn, that person just did this. I want that. And then it's like, oh, cool, I want that. So it's yeah. like, oh, that's something I'm going to work no, towards. No, it can be motivational as well, for sure. Yeah, it can definitely be motivational. Um, I've yeah. used that a lot over the last year. And sometimes it's something like mine, which was like a, a like handbag that it was like, damn, everyone's <laughs> buying. This was in banking. It's like all these European glamorous women. It was like, I want that. So then it's like, I went and spent that money and got that. And I was still depressed. And yeah. so that didn't help me. So yeah. it's like, cool, helpful lesson to learn. Yeah, I'm not surprised the handbag didn't sort <laughs> your worries out. But sometimes it's like, you've got to try that. That You know, if someone thinks earning all this money or getting this promotion or whatever will like solve all their problems, it's like, go and try that. And you'll find out actually it doesn't. But you kind of need to... Um, experience that for yourself I guess all of that stuff can help but fundamentally if you're not feeling secure in yourself then your problem's going to catch up with you whatever situation you have you're in whatever you buy you know whoever you're with yeah because there's always someone wealthier than you there's always someone yeah. more senior than you there's you know yeah. the comparison like it never ends for sure Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So even if, yeah, exactly. Comparison game will never, ever end. Yeah. Because even if you're Bill Gates, it's like, oh, but that person didn't have this awful divorce. So, I, you know, it's like literally. Yeah. Never ends. Um, are there any of the holistic practices? Fuck, even, you know, even the word holistic makes some people be like switch off. But anyway. But are there any of those? I hate because you know it's like demonized as well in the media. Like wellness is like seen as this dangerous thing. But anyway, mm. that's like a whole another thing. But are there any of these things that you still do? Or which ones did you find the most helpful? And are there any like, that you I, still do? I think I think that you know again, like as you say, the sort of holistic medicine. You know, a lot of people can try to, like, take advantage of you and they can try to, like, give you all these things or um, say will sort of, like, cure you or solve all your problems, like, all your health problems. And, you know, there's also so many things out there that can cause a lot of stress because, you know, you're thinking, oh, if I don't do this, then maybe, like, that's something that I could have done. And if I didn't do that, could that have, like, had a bigger impact on, like, how I'm going to recover? Um... So it can be quite stressful knowing that there are thousands of things out there and you're never going to be able to, you know, do all of those things. Um, you know, for me, there are things that definitely I found more helpful than others, things that maybe really resonated for me. Um, and there are things that I did and just thought maybe that was a bit of a waste of money. But... Were, were any of them, like were you like this is like an absolute ripoff or did all of them you understand like oh maybe this works for some people but wasn't quite my yeah i think yeah i don't think i think all holistic health right i think has like any sort of like holistic therapy or holistic type of medicine has a place and you know i feel like depending on like the personality depending on the genetics depending on how you are as a person maybe that medicine will 
be beneficial to someone and maybe for me because I'm not quite into it don't have an interest maybe my genetics like aren't like won't sort of um like correspond with it maybe it won't like help me in that way so I feel like you know there's all these holistic therapies out there and depending on yeah personality genetics sort of how interested you are in it it'll have a um it'll that's how effective it will be um but I think like fundamentally, right, you got to, the sort of ground principles for holistic health are eating well and, you know, maximizing the amount of nutrients, minerals, vitamins in your diet. I found the most effective way of doing that was to incorporate a lot of juices and a lot of smoothies into my diet. Um, do you still do that? Yeah, I still do that every day. I have a juice and a smoothie. I do that because my diet is so bad. It's really? I eat so much rubbish, like KFC. Don't no, no, like no, rubbish. Yes, like I'm like probably th- addicted to junk food. Um, that's like a whole other thing. I didn't think. But that. Oh, wow. <laughs> but so I, that's my medicine that I have spinach. I heard someone say that once, and it really helps me. So I have like a spinach and cucumber whatever lemon smoothie yeah. juice every day and it's like i just have to drink this it's good for my body and then yeah i can kind of yeah and i actually think it's like not necessarily about removing like all the bad stuff but about incorporating more of the good stuff that's more important that that's more important yeah because yeah we don't like deprivation if someone's no. like you can't eat this it's like fuck you I want to eat that yeah 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 no it's true so like I would if I was sort of giving advice I'd be like don't be so concerned about like removing but be more focused on just like getting more of the good stuff into your diet um sleep I think is super important having like good sleep like good healing sleep you know that's where the majority of like our healing and recovering comes from is super important um and i do think as well like a lot of i do i mean this is slightly out there but i think feel like a lot of um illness um can come from like a lot of sort of like anger and if we're building up a lot of anger in our body i think that that can like take its toll have a lot of inflammation in the body so trying to like reduce your anger levels as much as possible um stress as well yeah stress yeah exactly yeah stress as well for sure um i did i found like ice baths cryotherapy and like saunas infrared saunas to be super effective i enjoy i i felt like that was really one of the change so i do cold shower i have a cold shower every morning and yeah, I'm, yeah. i don't know if it does anything for me but i'm kind I'm kind of like addicted to it and it it helps me if I feel weak it's like you are strong like when I'm in the shower yeah. I'm like you're fucking tough you're it's winter in London and you're having cold shower. Oh man they've been made a lot tougher like <laughs> over the summer there's no problem at all and now that the last few weeks is trying to get the cold showers going yeah it takes a lot more discipline but that's one of the things that I love about the cold showers the most is it builds this resilience and it builds this discipline and it's like you know, you go in in the morning and maybe you're sort of like a little unsure, you're on the fence, you know, and then you're like, Delia, no, go do this. 
and you do it and it just sort of sets you up for the for the rest of the day being like oh i just i did something that i didn't want to do and you can kind of carry that into the rest of your day you know and i think having those like healthy habits like early on re- really important to to set you up for you know a strong day little things making a bed having like a morning stretch like keeping that discipline going like i think really builds like you know a strong person do you, so what are the infrared saunas do so they're meant to they have these red lights um around the saunas and they're rather than sort of a regular sauna i think there's like a bit of debate about like if it's any more effective but supposedly the red light and the infrared saunas um will enter on a deeper cellular level um to help like penetrate deeper into the body um but again it's like i think all of these things like when you compound them so when you're eating well when you're sleeping well and when you're doing the saunas and the ice baths if you're like having the massages and you know the acupuncture all of these things that so they just compound to make like a really sound like a really sound platform for like healing where do you go to do an ice bath or you do it yourself i have done it myself like I've had a, yeah i've had a few like comedy <laughs> i've had a few comedy um times where i bought like a shitload of ice and it's all come around then i filled a bath and just emptied it emptied it all in um but there's a gym that i go to in london um that has an ice bath and yeah, yeah occasionally i'll i'll go in there nice yeah um i would love to ask you about your ayahuasca experience as well but maybe because that's a very safe i don't know if you follow that thing with psychedelic medicine that it's like a sacred thing so it's like you shouldn't you should be careful how you talk about it i think so i can i think i mean i could uh, we probably won't have long enough but i could talk i can tell you some really funny stories like about it but i feel like with um all plant medicine it can be super effective and i've been in groups where people have come out and they've like been in absolute turmoil and they've come away from it the next day and i've spoken with them and you've heard them speaking in the group and it feels like so like they've just have all this clarity and like they've been like tangled and they're just suddenly like completely like unraveled and clear and you know it's amazing to watch it's really beautiful to watch um the thing that i've found with when i've taken plant medicine and ayahuasca is i think it does raise your consciousness i think it does like um give you this greater level of awareness and it does give you clarity it allows you to think about your problems in a slightly different way and it can give you these answers that maybe you're looking for you know you go into these sessions with an intention it's usually something that's from my or from my experience it's something more, a little bit more acute and i've gone in with a particular problem and i've wanted an answer i've wanted some clarity around it and i felt like i've got those answers and i've got that clarity but the problem that i found is you then come back home 
and things are very clear for you, things are a lot lighter for you, things suddenly make sense, you've got maybe answers for why you've done these things or why other people have done these things. And then you try to sort of like relay that information onto the people around you and it doesn't quite work mm. because those people haven't done that healing or those people aren't ready to look at look at that this thing in a different perspective so you still clash so even though you've maybe healed you know the people around you it's not necessarily about healing but the people around you aren't ready to have that different perspective so it 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 gives you maybe greater peace but i think in order for like you know ultimate peace you need the people around you to to kind of get on board with what you want to say and sometimes that can be difficult yeah i think that happens with therapy as well or doing any of this internal work when you're processing stuff from the past and then suddenly it's like oh my god and you want everyone else to come along and get on board but for some some people it's like that's so painful or that that's something that happened 25 years ago and it's like to you it's so like this is like so front of mind but to them it's like you know there's defensiveness there's guilt it's like bringing stuff up it's even just like they're not in the place in their life to Mm. be able to talk about those things so then yeah but and yeah it's hard because then you can realize it's like quite a well it doesn't have to be lonely but it's like you're like oh i'm really on this journey on my own but then it's like that can be an empowering thing as well i guess because yeah it's i i'm i'm really pleased in the sessions that i've had when doing plant medicine and i think that it has it's definitely helped like take some of the pain away um, from certain experiences but yeah it's difficult when the people around you are necessarily wanting to heal or ready to heal or look at it in the way that you want it to be looked at um, and yeah as you say that can be maybe like a little lonely or a little frustrating but you've just got to have kind of like I guess like confidence in yourself that you you know, maybe you found peace in it and that's enough. Mm. Yeah. And you don't have to, and you don't need the other person's approval yeah. to make you feel better. Exactly. And I think that's what they really help with, or at least for me, that it's really like, you're so understood, like the messages are so clear that it's so your truth. And it feel to me, it's like, I feel so supported by some I mean that's what it is it's like connection to this like consciousness or whatever it is and it's real though so it's like you are being like supported or lifted up or something and that connection's always it's not that you have to do it all the time it's like that stays with you that as long as you yeah have that time i think it all comes back to doing yin yoga having that time (laughs) on your own without the distractions it is i honestly it's like that's why i love teaching it and you know allowing people that space and you say you can come back to it time time again we are 
constantly surrounded by distractions. Every, everything we do pretty much is a distraction. I did a silent meditation retreat. I've done a few of them actually. And we weren't allowed to write or read, listen to music, nothing. Is that Vipassana? Yes. Yeah. Did it with a guy um, called Bergs over in Wales, an amazing man. And he, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you experience these things and you understand that everything we do, talking with friends, so it's things that can be beneficial for sure, don't get me wrong, like reading, writing, listening to music, being with friends, like being on your phone, like all of these things can be good and like, you know, comforting. But, you know, I've said it a few times, I've like repeated myself, but like having these times of zero distraction, you know, it can be it can be like uncomfortable, but like very, very rewarding. Um, okay, last three questions. Sure. Because <laughs> it's been an hour and a half, but I mean, I could keep talking about this forever, but... Um, okay. Is there a book that ha has had a big impact on your life? Yeah, the f um... Yeah, that has, um, for sure. I suppose... I, and I've a couple of people have sort of like asked me this over the years, and it was the first book, the first um, holistic sort of self-help book that I've ever read from a woman called Louise Hay, called How to Save Your Life, and it kind of just opened up a new way of thinking about things that I'd never considered before, and it's been a it's been a while since I've read it. But it was the first book that made me think like, oh shit, like, never thought about it like that. Or, oh my God, like, you know, it, yeah, this just, you know, maybe I can like do something a little bit differently. Maybe I can think about something differently. Maybe I don't have to like conform to exactly how everyone else conforms. And that was the first like book that I read that made me like shift my well, just sort of my personality, my way of thinking, my way of doing things. How did you discover the book? I'm not sure if someone recommended it to me. I'm sure I'm, they must have. One of someone who I was with at the time must have recommended it to me. And um, was that after your diagnosis? After my diagnosis, yeah. So that I'll always remember. It's the first, first like self-helpy book I ever read. And yeah, that was super powerful and like taking me to where I am today. Um, okay, next question. Do you have any mindfulness or meditation practices? I'm assuming the answer is yes. I, I do. Um, in terms of actual exercises or terms of just how to go about life or... Well, just like... Do you meditate, I guess, oh. is the question. I don't know why I decided I wanted to ask this question, but I think it was to broadcast how mainstream it is. But some people say, like, oh, I just run and that's my meditation. So, yeah, so I went through, and we didn't actually talk about it too much, but I kind of forgot to speak about it, but, you know, there was a kind of, like, darker, not necessarily, like, a darker side, but with 
within that super healthy side of me that I developed, um, kind of like transitioning from my diagnosis back to health, I probably veered into an unhealthy, healthy, to the point like where obsessive. I was, to the point where I was doing these things like to the extreme, to the point where if I missed a green juice, it wouldn't be like oh, you know, that's not so much of a problem. I'll just get one next next day. It was, oh, shit, I'm going to get ill if I don't have this juice. Um, I was so rigid in my routine. And it was like, really, yeah, I became a little bit obsessive about it. And I, I think it was actually quite damaging to my mental health in a way. Um, and it's in this last year that I've really tried to sort of work hard at like releasing some of the grips and release that, like, grip that cancer had over me um so i do have these practices but i'm a little bit less rigid so most evenings now i will play some like super calming music and i'll stretch and i'll be just like very very um connected and grounded and mindful to the sensations and the feelings that are um that are coming up so i won't necessarily sit cross-legged um, in a lotus pose and just be still but I'll move and I'll just connect to my body and I'll feel and that's the last sort of recently that's kind of how I've been um, developing and like practicing my mindfulness nice and that's like right before bed yeah just uh, have my little routine brush my teeth and then go into the bedroom and have my Himalayan salt lamps on play some calming music and yeah, just kind of like 10 minutes, I'll have a little stretch and I'll try to, yeah, I'll just try to keep very present. Nice. Okay, last one. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Yeah, because I was, I, I forgot, I was going to ask you, like, were there any periods of darkness in that? Because obviously it's not just, oh, yeah, I'm changing my life. It's like whether you had slumped into, like, dark depressive periods or yeah it did like it took um yeah it took a real it did take a real toll like it 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 took a toll on my friendships for sure I was no longer drinking um and or I drank very very rarely and you know I used to meet up with my friends you know Friday Saturday night and we'd all go out together as you do when you're at that age and I stopped doing that so I stopped seeing them so much um, which made me feel quite lonely and you know felt like I lost that connection I sort of lost a bit of a connection with my best friend and then occasionally I did go out and drink and then when I went out to drink I hadn't been drinking for like three months and then I couldn't really control myself and then I sort of just like didn't keep in line with my values and morals and you know those nights never really ended up well I was never particularly happy there was always this voice in my head that was like don't do this this is super unhealthy you know and then you know and I I remember like this voice just being like you don't want to do this you don't want to do this but I kind of did it because I wanted to like fit in and I wanted to conform and I wanted to like be back with my friends and like have those good old times um so yeah there were a lot of times like that where I went out and had big sort of like nights out. Well, it was it happened very occasionally, but they happened and it didn't work so well. And yeah, I think I just, 
again with my eating I was very very um, rigid and like very disciplined and you know I was just so so cautious so so careful it was like try not to be hard on myself like there's a reason why I was but um, I think I took it to the I took it a bit to extreme at times and it, it had a negative impact on my relationships over the last few years, friendships, like um, girlfriends, family members at times. Yeah, so it does, so it, it, it can, yeah, it can actually impact negatively in some ways. Mm. And yeah, that's, this again, this last year, like, just kind of like came to that understanding and realized that having a little bit more balance, trying to release that grip that cancer really held over me, um, is like I think again like made me a little calmer and more relaxed about about things. Mm-hmm. What are the three words that describe the best version of yourself? Oh, I'm a chiller for sure. <laughs> I'm a pretty chilled guy, so I'm gonna go chiller, chilled. One of those. Um, Growing, I'm going through a big um, change at the moment where I'm really trying to develop and grow and learn new things, meet new people. So we'll go chiller, we'll go grow, growth, and I don't know if this is necessarily a word to describe me, but excited. I feel like I'm at a stage in my life where I'm feeling reasonably content and as, as we've spoken about a lot, quite confident at the moment and I for sure have like a lot of other feelings but I'm quite excited of what's going to happen to me and where my life's going to go and who I'm going to meet um, as I'm putting myself out there a lot. So I'm a chilled guy who's growing a lot and excited about what the future holds. Nice. Damn it, that was one thing I didn't... <laughs> that would have been a perfect way to end, but I wanted to ask you, last question. <laughs> Putting your... Talking about some of this stuff openly on social media, was mm. that scary for you? Yeah, super scary. I, again, it was one of the first things that I did to try to put myself out there more and push my, put myself out of my comfort zone. So I downloaded that Insta, Insta, I downloaded Instagram for the first time, um, just a little over a year ago, and yeah, I started putting my story out there. I started talking about my illness, something that I'd never done before. I try to keep it as a tight a circle as possible, and talk about my thoughts and my feelings, and you know some of the mistakes that I've made and my illness and. Every post that I do is like, I feel it's a little cringy and it's a little scary, but, you know, people kind of read it and I think, like, it's nice to just put my thoughts out there to the world. So I'm happy that I've done it. But there's always still a part of you, uh, you know, that feels a bit cringy and a bit nervy about writing a post each time. But, but yeah, it's, um, I'm happy that I've done it. Although, 
no one no one does posts any longer, which I'm just having to try to catch up. Sort of about the real game now, which I'm I'm slower, slow, I'm slow on. So yeah, trying to up my smoothie reels now rather than talk about my thoughts and feelings. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that was purely a um, question for me because that's what I. I struggle with of but like being right. like it's like oh this is so cringe the, but thi- it- the thing is we've spoken a lot about people judging you and people do judge you but equally I feel like in that side of things like people actually don't really care you know you in that but in this in this example people well I think in all examples if you say you're a dog walker you know you judge yourself way more than like the person that you're speaking with and in this situation too if you're putting out a post you're judging yourself way more than what that person like than what that person is doing who's reading it and you know they don't really care you know they're reading mm. it at the end of the day yeah and if they're not reading it then you don't need to worry about it because they're not seeing it yeah yeah because I guess it's all about owning it like with that dog if you if your like true passion and calling in life was to be a dog walker then you would be like so com- yeah. proud to say that and for some people who that is but I, and I guess that's the same with the, it's like, yeah, you, if you make a big deal in your head that it's like, oh my God, I make this content. Whereas if you're just someone who's like, yeah, that's my thing. I make content like. Yeah. 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 No, I think just, you know, just go for it. You know, don't care so much about what people think. Just, you know, put yourself out there more and go for it. Try to be the best version of yourself. I think it's, it's good. And it's so rewarding as well, like when you teach a yoga class or you put a post out there and it resonates with people, you know, you just, you feel like you're having an impact in your little corner of the world, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's it, going back to the reason you started doing that. Well, what was the reason you started doing it? Well, the Instagram. Yeah. And talking openly about your journey of story. I think initially I just, I wanted to, I set up my yoga page. So it was a page to help build a brand around my yoga. And I know that I needed to put some of my personality across, but also I just thought for the first time, like, fuck it, you know, this is who I am. This is my life. You know, this is a massive part of me. And I feel like I've got quite a few things to say and I wanted to, myself out there and try something different and like let's just go for it let's say hey i got diagnosed with cancer why is it so scary and now it's not that scary you know before like a couple years ago i would i wouldn't been able to do this and talk about it so openly and now i'm fine with it and so why is it a big deal just uh yeah just put yourself out there and there's going to be people that are wanting to hear and wanting to listen and and you know everyone's everyone's got their own little unique story and everyone's like unique in their own like beautiful way and you know there's gonna there's there's gonna be people out there that want to be part of that yeah and for me i guess it's like if there's one not i guess i have conviction that if it's one person listens and they're like resonate with what you're saying or went through something similar or even are just struggling with confidence or or just struggling to be who they are and it's like wow this has helped me feel more you know at peace with myself or more confident then it's worth it it. 
and if a million people think it's the most cringe thing, it's like, well, who cares? It's but like you made it. Got a million people but, listening. Yeah. Good. True, true, true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Win, so, win, win. <laughs> win, win. <laughs> okay. Anything else, or I'll press stop. Um, I think that's good, Delia. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Do you want to promote any more socials, or are you? <laughs> Oliver James Yoga. Give me a give me a follow, check out my smoothie reels. <laughs> nice.